Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast presented by the Rambling Runner Podcast Network, where we take an inside look into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta in February. And on this episode, we talk to Sarah Horrible. Sarah is somebody who five years ago was running roughly 25 miles a week and entering her first marathon. These days, he's a 242 marathoner, just qualified for the Olympic trials, and a 217 half marathoner, and she's done that a couple times as well. And I was so excited to talk to Sarah because, frankly, a lot of the people who have qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon, for them, is kind of the capstone on a lifetime of running, kind of like a, a capstone achievement for a career in the sport. And certainly there's plenty of people who are the elites who will – you know, kind of use this as, you know, a way to get to their next goal. But there is certainly a portion of the people who are going to be running in Atlanta where that is the goal, just just being part of the Olympic trials. And Sarah's in that group. And it's remarkable to even say that, considering, again, that just five years ago, running her first marathon was a big achievement. So I couldn't wait to talk to her. In addition to that, sometimes when you hear that kind of backstory, it's somebody who was running a lot in college and then stepped away from the sport only to kind of regain the passion for running. And that's not Sarah's story either. So again, I'm really excited to talk to Sarah. I'm sure that you will love this episode because of just so many things that it brings, not only for people who are running high mileage, but for people who wonder, hey, someday, could that be me? And that's exactly what uh, what Sarah's talking about in this one. So with all of that being said, here's my conversation with Sarah Harble. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you hopping on here. You and I, we're both on our lunch breaks right now, diving into the podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you because, shoot, when we originally scheduled this a week ago, um, you know, I was going to talk to you about your most recent half marathon, but now that we're talking a week later, you have a new most recent half marathon. So first of all, I congratulations on your race this weekend. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, it's been a good fall racing season so far. Um, I feel like I scheduled myself pretty uh, pretty well. Um, this is my third, that was my third half marathon in the past only like two, two and a half months. <laughs> and you seems like you've been doing well in all of them. So this past week, was this a, if it wasn't a PR, it was pretty close to one. It was, it was very close. I was actually kind of bummed. I was six um, seconds from running a PR. It was the Columbus half marathon on Sunday. So I was so, so close. I hoped to run a little bit faster, but I mean, what can you do? There's always next time, I guess. <laughs> there you go. And when you say you hope to run a little faster, what were some of the indicators that you had going into the race that led you to believe you had um, a little bit more potentially in the tank? So, okay, so my half marathon PR is from this past spring at the Glass City Half Marathon, which is held in Toledo, Ohio, um, and I ran a 117.37. Um, and then I ran the Parkersburg Half Marathon in August down in West Virginia. That is an extremely challenging course, um, mentally, physically. It was very warm, very humid. It's a very hilly course. 
and I still ran a 119. So I mean, for how challenging it was, I was very, very happy with how I raced that day. Then last month, I ran the Akron Half Marathon, um, which is a slightly challenging course as well. There's some hills, like it's definitely not flat. And it was also um, pretty humid that morning too. Uh, I think it was like 75 degrees by the end of that race. So it was warm and I ran a 118.30. So going into Columbus this past weekend, um, Columbus, the course is pretty flat. The temperatures were, they were pretty cool. Um, I think it was maybe close to 50 degrees at the start. So I was like, okay, like I think this is going to be a PR race course for me. Um, hopefully I can run low 117s, maybe even break 117. Um, felt fit going into it. I raced a 10K last weekend and that went really well. So I was like, okay, let's do this. And then I was a little bit short and I finished in 117.42. So close. So your 10K last weekend, um, were you, first of all, what was the time and were, how, um, I guess, how tapered were you for that effort? Um, so I ran a 35.50, so it was a 5.46 pace for that 10K. It was a perfect morning for racing. I think it was like 40 degrees, sunny, no wind, like great course. Um, so that went really well for me. I kind of thought of that as being a good tune-up race or even just like a last final workout before the Columbus Half Marathon. Um, so I ran like maybe 65 miles going into that race, like that week leading up. And then this past week, I tapered down even more so that my legs would be a little bit more rested going into Columbus. So it was like a gradual taper because thinking about how I had Akron three weeks ago, and then two weeks after that, I had the 10K, and then I had Columbus lined up. I kind of had to strategically think about how I wanted to taper with these races um, as part of my training and my schedule. Now, is this a similar fall schedule that you've had in the past, or have you typically done a marathon in the fall? Yeah, no, definitely not. It's definitely a lot more race heavy. Um, Last fall, I did one half marathon in September as a tune-up race to the Twin Cities Marathon, which was um, the beginning of October, and that's where I ran an Olympic trials qualifying time, um, and that was it for last fall. So I had, you know, one half marathon, one full marathon, and then it was time to take a break. So I was really focused last year on running an OTQ. That was my main goal. Um, and so my, um, my season wasn't as race heavy since that's what I had my, my mind set on and that's what I was getting ready for. So when you were planning this fall, what were some of the things that you wanted to take into consideration? First of all, in terms of the kind of distances you wanted to race and then how frequently you wanted to race them. So I knew that I did not want to run a full marathon this fall. With the Olympic trials being in February and the fact that I already raced a full this past spring, I kind of thought to myself, you know, if I run another full this fall, 
And then, you know, give myself a little bit of time off and then it'll be time to train again for another full marathon. I might burn myself out a little bit. So I was like, let's just focus on the half marathon distance and see what we can do with this in the fall. And then, um, and then when the trials come about, you know, coming in December, that's when I'm going to be starting my training cycle for that race. That's when I can get my mind back into you know, the marathon, the full marathon. So I think that's the reason why I just didn't want to burn myself out. And I decided let's do the half marathon this fall. And then we can focus on the trials after that. So did you have, so you, so you, like you mentioned, you had Akron and then you had Columbus. Did you view either of them as an A race or are they kind of like one A, one B? Um, I consider Columbus actually to be my A race just because I knew that the course was going to be a little bit easier. And with the time of year, I was like, okay, the temperature is probably going to be a little bit cooler. You know, I raced over the summer in some really hot and humid weather. Um, So I was just thinking the conditions overall would make uh, Columbus a better A race. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you really, it's nice to have the A race coincide with a race that's, you know, potential for a PR or a really fast time, unless I guess if it's like one of those like world marathon majors, right? Where those typically are, it's about the field. And we can talk about that kind of situation because that's exactly what for you, the Olympic trials is going to be in terms of like the high quality field. So you obviously have run really well. Columbus was the A race. What did anything change in your mind when you were on the starting line at Akron, and then you look over. Obviously, you you typically race. I didn't say obviously. In the past, you've really you know been very centrally located in your running. Some runners, you know, of, of all abilities, like to travel and, and do races all over the country. You've been very centrally located where you live in Ohio. So when you had the chance to look across the starting line and see Des Linden in Akron, what was that like in terms of managing your own expectations or? you know, you know, whether or not you're going to give like the 110% effort versus saving something for Columbus or anything like that. Um, okay. So it was really cool that she was there. I knew that she was, you know, the special guest that weekend for the race. And then I remember it was before we got to the starting line, I saw her walk past and I was like, guys, Des Linden just walked past. (laughs) I didn't realize she was going to be running with us, but it was obviously a training run for her because I think her PR is probably like 110 or, you know, low teens. And she ran maybe a 121 that day. Um, but it was, it was cool to see her. It was like a burst of energy because she's so awesome, you know? Um, but my mindset that morning was, you know, try to go out, try to run fast and try to win. Honestly, that was my mindset that morning. That's great. And that, that, that's one of those things where with you running, you know, first of all, you're extremely fast and very fit. So you're going to be competitive no matter where you run. But I think feel like in part because of where you typically race, it seems like that sort of strategy has kind of rung true for a couple of years now in terms of like, Hey, what's the goal for this race? The race, you know, the goal is to win. Mm -hmm. And it's good to know who's going to be in the field as well. Like if you show up to more local races, like if I go to a race in Ohio and I see who else is going to be there, it's kind of nice that I know who they are. Um, 
in terms of ability and because it's nice to like see people I know before I start races too. But I have done, um, I did a few races earlier this year where I traveled. I ran the Cherry Blossom 10 miler in DC in April. Um, That is now one of my favorite races. That is an awesome race. I recommend it to everybody now. Um, And then I raced in Florida at the beginning of the year too. And then besides the Parkersburg half marathon in August, I ran a 10K in West Virginia in June as well. If you want to run challenging hilly races, take your talents to West Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I know that's that is interesting because you have so many courses you can go to that have still such a wide variety of things that they can offer you. And when you get into those situations about trying to decide what courses to run and what, you know, in terms of, you know, what fields to run against, what are some of the things that you take in mind? Because again, with, with you know, running Parkersburg and, and doing different races, you know, you, there's a lot of things that take, in, take into consideration, whether it's prize money or running against certain people or trying to be top three or running for a PR. What are things typically in the past that you are, are that you've tried to um, emphasize with your race selection? Um, so I think I, I look at a lot of factors. Like I put a lot of thought into the races that I choose Um, I mean, I look to see like, what is the course like? Will I be able to PR on this particular course? Um, what might the weather be that time of year when I'm racing? What's the competition like? Like I look at past results and I see what type of finish times, um, have occurred there in past years. Um, what girls, show up? Like, do I recognize any of the names? Um, I know lots of runners and I get feedback from them about different races. So if I'm thinking about, you know, registering for a race, I might reach out to somebody who I know has run it before and get their opinion of it or any insight that they have. Um, Prize money is obviously an incentive. I can't deny that. And, you know, with some of these races too, I want to be prepared for the trials course, which I've heard is pretty hilly. You know, it's a triple loop around Atlanta. It's not flat. And so when I signed up for Clarksburg and Parkersburg, like one of the reasons why I picked those was I need to start running races where the course is not pancake flat, where it's a little bit more challenging, where there are hills just to kind of prepare myself mentally for what that's going to be like come February. Because where I live, I mean, I'm on the west side of Cleveland. It's not very hilly. Like, it's pretty flat. So, you know, I think it's good to switch things up and pick these courses that are challenging and a little bit more difficult. Um, So I'm ready to go come February at the trials. And what did you learn about yourself, you know, mentally and physically at those races? Oh, man. Um, Well, definitely good for mental strength building. I must tell you that, especially at Parkersburg. Like, I think that was the most challenging course that I have ever run. Um, But it taught me that despite how difficult it was, you know, with the humidity, with the hills, you know, it was a very winding course that I'm capable. You know, I was still able to run a 119. I didn't give up. Um, My pace remained consistent pretty much the entire race. So I think it was a confidence boost, you know, that I can handle a course that difficult. 
And when you were going, let's just talk about the X's and O's of it, because I think this is very interesting, not only in terms of executing a race strategy or running at your highest level, but also, as you mentioned, preparing for Atlanta. When you were approaching some of the more significant inclines, whether they were longer or just steeper, how did you try to approach those in terms of, you know, in terms of the effort you were giving in relation to your normal half marathon pace? Um, well, I think with hills, naturally, I slow down a little bit. I try to hold on to my pace as much as I can. If I slow down somewhat, I always remind myself, you know, like looking at your pace on your watch, don't let that get to you because what goes up must come down. You're going to flatten out, or you're going to come down and you can make up time on the downhill. I know in Parkersburg during mile 12, there is a huge hill. Like I remember turning the corner and seeing it and I said out loud to myself, oh crap, here we go. <laughs> and I, I mean, it was tough. It was tough. So, you know, I took that hill as hard as I could. I always just tell myself like it's a hill, just get over it mentally and physically get over it because it's not going anywhere. Um, and then it took me, you know, 30 seconds to catch up with my pace. And then I did. And, you know, it's just like little things like that. I don't let them bring me down. I take the hill as the best that I can and then roll with it. So do you do anything in terms in your training to prepare yourself for a hilly course like that when you're training primarily on flat ground? Like, do you do anything strength wise to prepare or maybe do more sprint work? So every week. Unless, you know, it's a race week and then my my training schedule is a little bit different. I do speed work at the track once a week. Always incorporate that. And that's probably my favorite um, training day of the week. I love doing speed. Um, full disclosure, I think after the trials, I'm going to focus on the 5K for a while. I want to see how fast I can run a 5K if I'm really, really training for it. Um so speed work once a week. And then, you know, I do like a tempo workout or a threshold workout, long run, and the rest are recovery runs. But I do strength exercises um, at home. There is one road that I run on regularly, and it has it has rolling hills. Like I wouldn't say it's anything significant, but I run on this one road that's a couple miles from me, you know, a few times a week. And I would say that is considered my hill work. Got it. All right. So you talked a lot about, you know, basically this past year in terms of what you've been able to do and the level you are as a runner and the times that you've been able to put together. But this wasn't always the case, Sarah. So let's talk about your progression specifically in the marathon over the last five years. So like baseline, where were you when you started in terms of fitness level and when was that? Um, okay. So I signed up for my first marathon in 2014 and I was just, you know, running to stay in shape. It was my way to exercise, um, was mostly on the treadmill at the local gym, uh, probably running, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 miles a week. And I decided hey, let's sign up for a marathon. You know, some people I know have posted about it on Facebook. And if they can run a marathon, maybe I can run a marathon because I was a runner, you know, in grade school and in high school. Um, and this is something I want to see if I can do. 
So I signed up, I ran the Cleveland Marathon, and my first attempt, I qualified for Boston. I ran a 309.55. So I was like, okay, I'm glad I did this. I think I'm going to keep signing up for races. So that's kind of how it all started. So did you increase your mileage from the 25 to 30 miles that you were doing before the marathon cycle? Um, You know what? I must say... If I remember correctly, that first marathon I trained for, I don't think my weekly mileage went higher than like 40 miles. So you had a pretty good amount of kind of talent going into this, right? So you, you know, a lot of people run 25, 30 miles a week and they're nowhere near the time that you ran. So did you have any indicators earlier in your life? You mentioned you did run in high school that showed that you had a certain amount of innate running potential. Um. Perhaps. Um, I was a sprinter in high school. I, I mean, I was a pretty decent sprinter. I wouldn't say I was, you know, winning every race or anything like that, but I was okay. Um, in grade school, I ran track and cross country, and I probably should have kept running cross country in high school. But at the time, I was like, no, I just want to be a 400 and a 200 runner. But in grade school, at these meets that we had, you know, there would be 100 to 150 girls. Like, I was always placing top 10, like winning a lot of these cross-country meets as a kid. And I still remember in sixth grade, we ran the mile in gym class, like the boys and the girls. And I beat everybody. I ran a 6'11 mile in sixth grade. So, yeah. I guess I kind of always had this in me. Um, I didn't know it was going to turn into the ability to run a sub 245 marathon someday. But I think maybe running has kind of always been my thing. I just didn't know how much potential I really had. So besides the... Uh, success that you had in the marathon when you were training for it that first that first cycle and I think we all kind of remember our first marathon cycle you know either for better or for worse um, because it can be such a novel experience did you feel like you grew to like running a lot more as the cycle progressed or was it just simply business as usual until you got to race day I loved it. Like I had never okay so I had run one half marathon before I um, started training for my first full. And that was in 2009. I was in grad school at Ohio State and a girl in my cohort was trying to convince people to run um, the Cap City Half Marathon with her. So I was like, oh yeah, I was a, I was a runner in high school and I still run. So I'll sign up for this. Um, and so that was the furthest I had ever run. Okay, when I was starting to train for my first full marathon, I had one half marathon under my belt. And then since then, probably the furthest I had run was like seven or eight miles. So I remember in the beginning, these long runs, I started with 10 miles and then 12 miles and then 14. And they were quite challenging in the beginning. But every time I finished one of them, I just remember feeling so accomplished. I was like, okay, let's keep doing this. Like, I'll never forget my first 20 mile run. Like, I remember I did these two giant loops around the west side of Cleveland, and it was not easy. Like, obviously, 20 milers are not easy in general, 
But I just remember, I will never forget that because I never run that far. When I finished, it was such a sense of accomplishment to do that. Oh, I know. It, 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 it's funny. As you mentioned that, I'm like hearkening back to my, you know, my, my attempts to do that. And like, I have like, I'm of two minds and maybe you are too. Like you have like the sense of accomplishment and then you still have that, like that feeling of like, oh my God, I remember just dying on my feet at mile 17 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy at the time I did not have like a Garmin or a GPS watch. I remember I would go like on Google Maps or whatever, and I would map out a run. I did not even have a watch to run with. I would like, um, like make this route. I would Google map it, make sure it was the distance I needed to run. And that's what I would do. I did not get a Garmin watch into until 2015. Isn't that yeah, nice? I know, like, right? It's so true. It's like that's why, like, sometimes you go on those bike paths. They can be so useful because they'll like they'll map out like every half mile or so. And like I used to live and die by those, even though I got sick of running on them, just because it was just so much easier to just like kind of disengage and be like, okay, like this is just going to count for me, and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I had not even thought about that in so long that I didn't even have a watch when I did that. Now, do you feel like if you could go back in time, like that you would do the same thing with like just having like the hindsight now of like what it can be like to run with a watch and, you know, trying to like simultaneously track your workouts, but also try to disengage sometimes from like how fast you're running so you can just stay in the moment? Um, you know, in the beginning, it was all just for fun. So I don't know if I would. I was honestly just running for fun to stay in shape. And I was like, you know, let's sign up for a marathon and see if I can do this. And then it just turned into something a lot more serious, you know, over the past couple of years. So I think I just never thought it was going to turn into what it has. I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also, they have science-backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give Inside Tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? So use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 10% on Inside Tracker today. So let's talk about that progression. All right, so 309 first marathon, that's fantastic. I mean, that, that really is really, really good. And it's obvious to see once you get that, you know, especially again, hindsight's 2020, it's easy to see, okay, if you were going to continue to work hard, that the results you've had were definitely, you know, there to see if anyone could kind of knew the backstory, knew how much you were training. So after the first marathon, how did you start to alter 
uh, how you viewed the race, your training, and just generally, you know, becoming goal oriented towards running? So after my first marathon, that was in the spring. I remember that summer I signed up for a bunch of races. So, you know, I remember I ran a 10 mile race and I ran that in an hour and five minutes. And I was like, okay, like that's not bad for not, you know, specifically training for this. Like I honestly went to that race and I just ran that, I remember. And I was like, okay, like let's keep signing up for races. Um, Did a bunch of 5Ks that summer. I think I did a five mile race. And then I did a couple half marathons later that year. So, you know, I just started regularly signing up for local road races. It was just something I did for fun and as a hobby um, and as a way to exercise and meet people, stay in shape. Um, and then I ran the Boston Marathon in 2015, and the conditions were not nearly as bad as 2018, but it was still not great out. I remember for that, it was 45 degrees, it was raining, it was really windy. And I was like, okay, like, let's just run this, let's make it to the finish line. Um, and I ran three hours and 19 minutes. That was my Boston Marathon time in 2015. And I remember being like, okay, great. Like, I qualified to go back next year. Um, I didn't end up going back the next year. Um, So kept, you know, doing local road races after that. And then it was in 2016. I ran another marathon, and that was in Cleveland. And I ran a 307. So, you know, improved my time a little bit since 2014 in Cleveland. And that year, 2016, it was snowing, it was sleeting, it was really windy. Um, It was like 35 degrees. I will never forget that race because of how horrible the weather was. Um, But then fast forward to 2017. I ran the Cleveland Marathon again. My goal going in was let's break three hours. So felt good that day. I broke three hours. I ended up running a 256. So I was like, heck yeah, like I got a little bit faster this year. I was excited about that. A lot faster, man. A lot. (laughs) You, that's all. That's like a 10 minute PR right there. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, okay, like good race right there. Okay. Then the next year, 2018, sign up for the Cleveland Marathon again. So I've run the Cleveland Marathon now five times, five times. Um, so 2018 rolls around. I'm like, okay, let's try to break three hours again. Let's see what happens. I ended up running a 251 and I won the marathon. Like I exceeded my own expectations. Like even talking about it right now, you can probably tell by the tone in my voice. I did not expect to run that time that day. And I think that was definitely a catalyst for me. I was like, okay, I ran a 251. Like, I think I should try to qualify for the Olympic trials now. Like, that's where it got a little bit more serious, or I should say a lot more serious, where I realized, Sarah, you have some potential that you need to tap into. Let's see what can happen here. So knowing what you know now, what do you think, what can you point to in your training prior to 2018 Columbus set you set you up to run a 251. Again, you said at the time you were surprised, but now that you know the result and you can look back with clarity, what do you think set you up for that time as opposed to, you know, running another 256 or whatever? 
<sighs> Man. I mean, I guess my training went well. I remember a month before that race, I ran a 10-miler as a tune-up. And I ran that in one hour and 20 seconds. I still remember my time. And so I was like, okay, I think this is a good indication that I'm pretty fit right now. And I even remember a couple weeks before that race, you know, I went for a run and my average pace was like a 630 or something like that for nine miles. And I was like, that felt pretty easy to me. Like, I'm definitely in shape right now. Like I'm ready for this marathon. And so that morning, you know, the weather was like 60 degrees drizzling, which is not bad for running a marathon. I mean, I guess it could have been a little bit cooler, but I thought that the conditions weren't too bad. And I went out and I was able to keep my pace and felt good and ran 251. <laughs> so did you end up uh, negative splitting that consider, considering that you necessarily weren't um, thinking about 251 as your as your race goal. I don't think I do, but off the top of my head, I don't. I don't know, but I I doubt that I did. I doubt it. So yeah. So were you aware um, of your placing during the race? Um. Yes. So I I think it was around mile 19 where I passed into second place. And, you know, people will say things to you when they're cheering, like you're in this place, like, and that's how you kind of figure out where you are. And then um, a couple miles later, I passed into first place and I was like, oh my gosh. And then I remember getting to like mile 23 and turning around and the, you know, the second place female was nowhere in sight. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I'm going to win, you know, and it was just about, you know, making it to the finish line at that point. So after this race, where you get this big win, comes out of nowhere in terms of your perceptions of how you're going to do, you mentioned before that all of a sudden, you know, for you, things got serious in terms of like, hey, what can my potential, what is my potential here? What can I really achieve? What for you changed in terms of, you know, trying to reach your potential? Like, what did you start doing differently in order to find out for yourself what exactly your potential is? Okay, so with Cleveland, you know, I ran a 251 and I knew I was like six and a half minutes away. Well, I ran 251.36, I think was my time. So like six and a half minutes away from qualifying for the Olympic trials. And previously, I had never thought that sub 245 was in reach. And now I felt like it was in reach. So I was like, I need to put in the work, you know run more, do more difficult workouts, you know, pay close attention to my diet, just really take care of myself and devote myself to this process of training to the point where I'm fit enough to run a sub 245 um, and then go for it. Like it was this entire mindset I had. Like I think Cleveland that year, 2018, it was just a confidence boost. And it, it told me, Sarah, like, I think you can run faster than you think. And so I devoted last summer of 2018 to training for the Twin Cities Marathon. And then like, you know, September and fall leading up to it. And mindset worked. My training went really well. And I was able to run a 242.58. There you go. You killed it again. Another huge PR. 
So you almost cut 20 minutes off your marathon time over a two marathon period, which is absolutely incredible for anybody at any level. Even if you're a five hour marathoner, that's a huge increase. And for someone at your level, in terms of a percent increase, that's even more so. So let's talk about last summer, uh, 2018 summer, in terms of how you shifted your training in terms of you already talked about your, your your weekly schedule is that you know let's talk about those those workouts and your total mileage and just the things that you try to change from your previous marathon cycles that really brought so much success for you um okay so i definitely increased my mileage so to be honest when i was training for the 2018 Cleveland Marathon, I bet my highest week was like 50 miles. Like I think most of my weeks were in the 40s. Like I didn't have super high mileage or anything like that. So to train for Twin Cities, I peaked at 70. So that was the the, the highest weekly mileage I had ever run in my life. And now I've run like 85. So like looking back at that, like I thought 70 was so high and now 70 is kind of the norm. But um, at the time, you know, that was huge for me. So most of my weeks leading up to Twin Cities were in the 60s. Um, and I was doing tough workouts. I started going to yoga once a week, which I still do. I am. And a I can't big wait fan. to talk to you about that. I'm going to talk to you about that after, after we finish up with the running part, okay. but I'm really interested in that for sure. Yeah. So yoga became part of my regimen. Um, started going to the chiropractor every other week. Um, that's, I think going to the chiropractor is really important for runners. I have an appointment tomorrow and I'm really excited to go. Um, but yeah, I, I increased my mileage and I started doing tough workouts. Like I started being a very, um, very, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use here, not just discipline. Cause I've always been like pretty disciplined, but with my running, but maybe like taking the discipline to an extreme, I became like an early morning runner. Okay. And that was a change too. Now I run in the morning, um, even if it's a workout. So I changed my schedule and my routine up a little bit too. Um, so yeah, just different changes that I made to take care of myself and to ramp up my training, I think are what really helped me to cut, you know, not nine minutes off just about in around five months. And over the last five years, you've been predominantly self-coached. So what have what are some of the resources that you use, whether it's books or people you follow or people you talk to that have helped to inform you the proper ways of, of uh, setting up your schedule? Because, I mean, clearly it's working. <laughs> um, well, I have a lot of friends who are runners that I confide in. So that's always helpful. Um, I'm, you know, I'm looking at my coffee table right now and I have like two stacks of books and many of them are running books that I've read where I get advice, advice from those. Um, most recently over the summer, I read 80, 20 running, um, by Matt Fitzgerald. That's an interesting one. Um, I do a lot of research online, looking up different workouts. I read, Inside a Marathon, I don't know if you've read that, Scott Fobble's NYC training book from last year. 
that is awesome. Like his full training plan is in there. So it's really cool to see like what he did to prepare for that race. Like gives exact workouts. It gives his paces. It's essentially like his journal of training for the 2018 New York city marathon. It's awesome. Um, so I think, yeah, just like other runners that I know, um, books that I've read, there are so many resources online. I follow tons of runners on Instagram. That's motivation. You know, you get tips and advice from them. I did have a coach that I hired for about a month and a half. Um, and he was great. Like he's a phenomenal runner, but it just wasn't a good match. And he doesn't live in Cleveland. Like he lives across the country. So it kind of made it difficult that he had never seen me run. Um, and wasn't going to see me run. So I don't know. I decided, you know, I, I'm kind of experienced at this point. I have a lot of people and resources I can look to. I'm going to do my own thing and come up with my own training. Now, what, after all the research you've done, what's the, the, the track workout, which you mentioned, you love track workouts. What's your favorite track workout that you like to do when you're doing marathon prep work? Oh man, there are so many different ones, but I'm not going to lie. I like doing 400s. I'm a 400s girl. Well, you have that at heart, right? For you, it's like going back in time. Yes. And you know, I do my track workouts um, at the high school track where I had grade school track practice. So it's like so nostalgic when I'm there. Like I am in my element and so happy when I am there. Like I think back to grade school track practice. And those are such good memories. And it's, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. That is cool. <laughs> I can imagine that being just so nostalgic. And mm-hmm. not that mm-hmm. you can be nostalgic the whole time. I mean, when you're redlining, well, nothing matters. But yeah. <laughs> I can imagine it being pretty cool, uh, especially when you're driving up to the track and just like having all of those uh, experiences coming at you. Yeah, exactly. But you're right. When you're like redlining, maybe I'm feeling as nostalgic, maybe swearing under my breath a little bit. (laughs) Right. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I remember beating Scott Pickering in sixth grade. I'm going to kick it in right now. I don't know. Uh huh. Actually, I have a fun story about uh, grade school track practice, if you want to hear it. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Something I love it. This was in eighth grade and there are a group of us. It was like girls and boys. And I think we were doing 300 repeats. And I remember we had one more rep left and the coach goes, okay, everyone is going to get a five second head start except for Sarah. And if Sarah doesn't still beat everybody, we're going to do another one of these. Okay. So. I was like, all right, fine, let's do this. Everybody gets a five-second head start. And let's just say after that, the workout was over. (laughs) (laughs) I caught everybody, even the boys. I will never forget that. Oh, that's hysterical. Good for you. That's fun. That is a good story. Mm -hmm. I like that. If If I was one of the boys, I'd be like, I'd be so torn. So I'd be like, I want this to be over, so maybe I should slow down, but I don't want to lose, so maybe I should speed up. Right, right, yeah. I love the kid track stories. Those are so fun because it's so easy to remember those times, and it's just such a different experience. Let's talk about your next couple months. So you just finished your A race for the fall, and then well, you have... kind of. Oh, I'm sorry. What, 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 what do we have on tap? I'm sorry to skip over something. 
Oh, no, it's okay. Not many people know, but I'll just say it. I have one more half marathon planned for November, actually. All right. So which one is that? Um, I'm going to Richmond, which I've heard is a fast course. So we'll see what happens there. Oh, okay. So with Columbus being the A race, you got Richmond coming up. What's your what's your recovery slash training been like this week in order to, you know, kind of flush Columbus out and then get ready for Richmond? Right. So this week, decreasing mileage, mainly easy recovery runs. I kind of have a busy week with work. So I need to schedule around that too. Um, and then Next week and the following week, I'm going to ramp back up, like higher mileage weeks and get in some really um, quality workouts. And then it'll be time, you know, to taper back down. I'll have a week where I lower my mileage and then it'll be race weekend. And that's going to be my last race of 2019. So I really hope to end on a high note with that. There you go. And and how are you feeling? Any, Any lingering issues or injuries or anything like that? You know what? I'm feeling good. Knock on wood. Let's Knock on wood. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> it stays that way. Cause yeah, I, I mean, I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about uh, this winter and getting ready for the Olympic trials. You mentioned before how you had a couple of race choices this past year to try to mimic Atlanta, at least a little bit in terms of its hilliness. When you think about Atlanta itself, do you have any particular goals going into the race that are helping drive your thought process? So I think that if I could, you know, PR, that would be ideal. I think that's like in a perfect world, anybody would want to go to the Olympic trials and run their best time. So that's obviously something I would like to do. I think it will be helpful to have hundreds of super fast girls to run with. Like, I think we're all going to push each other and that's going to be really, really helpful. Um, I'm planning on starting my training um, beginning of December. So after Richmond, I do want to take a brief intermission just to rest a little bit before starting uh, my training for the trials. I have planned as a tune-up race the Houston Half Marathon in January, and I would assume a lot of girls who are racing the trials are going to be doing the same, using that as a tune-up race. Um, So yeah, and I'm also hoping that the winter in Cleveland isn't too severe, so that training isn't impacted too much. (laughs) Yeah, right. So true. Now, when you think to the Olympic trials, do you have any runners that you view as people as kind of peers of yours that you can see yourself trying to either run with or trying to catch? Um, well, I'm trying to think, you know, there, there's a handful of other girls from Ohio that I know that will be there. So I would say it would be nice to be able to run with them because for similar ability, like ran in the low two forties. Um, so they would definitely be girls that I would like running with. Um, if I wanted to, you know, really, you know, set my standards high for that day and say, Hey, I want to dip below 240. You know, I know some girls that have run in the two thirties and I might want to try to hang with them. So I guess I'm going to have to see how my training goes and how I'm feeling, you know, leading up to the trials. I'm hoping that the Houston half is a good indicator 
of where my fitness is at come January. And I'll kind of go from there. So exciting. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your training and racing and background. I'm so excited for you at Richmond, Houston, and then ultimately Atlanta. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was a very good use of lunchtime today. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Couldn't agree more. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show. This was such a fun conversation. Also, big ups to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. Go to InsideTracker.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 15% on a test. And there's just so many options that you can use. I mean, the fact of the matter is this, is that nutrition is a big deal for so many of us, but we just don't know where to start. And it seems like every day, nutrition and dietetics just gets more confusing. What is healthy? What is not healthy? And what combinations should we be eating? And that's exactly what Inside Tracker can provide to you. So thank you so much for rating, sharing, reviewing the podcast. All of it is so greatly appreciated. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.